Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business Fun Podcast. It's me, Dave. I am back. If you've been following my travails in the world, I am back at home, back in my little uh, subterranean office, uh, making podcasts, doing the thing, uh, talking tickets, doing everything. Uh, so uh, thank you for the people that reached out to me to check in on me. Thanks for the people who um, continue to reach out. Uh, you know, Thank you for everybody. Um, we will talk about that stuff later, regardless. Uh, yesterday, I attempted to try some new technology, and I put together a free webinar called Seven Ways to Set Better Prices No Matter What You're Selling. Uh, somehow, the link that was for Microsoft Teams didn't work right for everybody, so I wanted to work to get this thing out and up posted for people ASAP. Uh, so it is going to be the audio, and then I'm going to find a way to put the video online on YouTube. I just have to figure out exactly how to post the YouTube video. Um, but it's, it's seven ways to do it. It's a little bumpy because I'm trying out some new technology. Uh, it's great. It's going to be part of a thing that I've been putting together with Haley from uh, Booking Protect called uh, the Road to Recovery series, which will kick off around May 2nd, and we're going to do all these different um, podcasts. Uh, we're going to try to do some panel-type th things, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff through the podcast feed to teach people uh, new ways to generate revenue, new ways to market and sell their products and services, uh, and new ways to help recover as we go through the pandemic, as we get to the end of the pandemic, whatever this pandemic means so that's going to be cool. Keep an eye on this feed. Okay, so make sure you check out uh, Booking Protect at bookingprotect.com. Uh, they have got some really great data uh, that we've talked about, which shows that people are taking up refund protection better, more uh, than they did before the pandemic, probably in some cases twice as much. Not probably, I know it is. Uh, so that's a tremendous uptick. When I was at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham, England, um, the number of people asking and talking about refund protection was unbelievable. It was like the most buzzed about item at the conference, I feel like. And that's not hyperbole. That seems like the truth. Uh, I could be wrong, but it was just far exceeding uh, anything I'd seen as far as refund protection went before people were one understand it, find out how to use it, find out how easy it is to implement it. Uh, so check out bookingprotect.com. Uh, make sure you get my newsletter. It comes out on Fridays, talkingtickets.substack.com. It's uh, five, five areas, um, usually five bullet points, some action items, some insight, some analysis, uh, it was called the best newsletter in the world by somebody I definitely respect, uh, an executive that's worked on the Olympics, on the Euros, uh, for FIFA and UEFA, I believe. Like all these really great places uh, told me that he thought that it was the best podcast or the best newsletter in the world of tickets and entertainment. And I'm going to use that everywhere I possibly can. Um, so without any further ado, I'm going to turn this over to me giving you the presentation on setting better prices. Hello, everyone who is live or visiting me um, later, either via the podcast, YouTube, uh, on my website, wherever you see this permitted. Thank you for joining me uh, for a new free webinar uh, called Seven Ways to Price Better. No matter what you are selling, uh, this is a response to a number of really bad instances of uh, pricing malpractice. Uh, me collecting a bunch of new uh, pricing ideas and thoughts, uh, putting together some new IP around pricing, uh, and developing a course, a sprint, maybe a two-and-a-half to three-week sprint when it's all said and done that's going to help people price more effectively, uh, no matter if they are in any of the areas that I end up working a lot, professional services, sports, tickets, uh, concerts, theater, the performing arts, museums, uh, retail, right? This stuff touches everything. Uh, my work ends up touching everybody. And I wanted to present some ideas for you today. And so this is going to be, hopefully it's going to be an informative hour. So let's get started here because I want to keep this very, very tight for people. Uh, so the first thing is I want you to understand that uh, pricing is marketing's MVP moment. 
And I say that, and I've been saying that regularly now, because that's where all you find all the money is. Uh, pricing is the point in the relationship that you create with your customers, your prospects, uh, where you are able to capture some of the value that you've created. Um, that's why this is the magical moment for price uh, in marketing. Uh, pricing, as we're going to learn later, is the most important button you can push um, to maximize your your profitability uh, and to capture some of the value you create. So keep in mind that pricing is marketing's MVP moment. So pricing is easy to get wrong. And I want to give you a few ideas for why. Let me see here. I'm having a little trouble with the slides. Ah, yeah, here we go. Well, first off, pricing is both art and science. And what does that mean for you, for anybody? Well, partly it means that you, no one knows exactly what the absolute rice price is. A lot of times, what's the right price now could be a, a, the wrong price later. There are many factors that go into pricing. There is um, things like time, place, uh, speed of sale, um, location, desire, a time till an event, or number of items left uh, that make it both an art and a science. You don't have to feel like you have to get 100% right with your pricing. You have to know that like the price can change. Your ability to price effectively is going to change, uh, and there's not really one absolutely right price in my experience. The second thing I want you to know about why pricing is easy to get wrong is that there have been all of these factors that I talked about before, but some of them are timing, right? How close you are to an event, um, how close it is to, you know, Christmas, um, how close it is to Thanksgiving, right? Turkey, <laughs> to demand for turkeys in the United States, um, or how soon, afterwards you buy right um, a timing thing and how willing people are to pay for something you can think back to the model three launch and how many people were willing to put down a thousand dollar deposit on the model three uh, that's timing the importance of the need right we're going to talk about this later when we get to value-based pricing um, the importance of need right um there's no one right price for every customer if you use value-based pricing. And part of it's because if you are a smaller or larger company, the importance, the value you gain is going to be different. So um, the need and value of are important and they drive how much the price is. And if you don't, if you have a one size fits all approach to your pricing, sometimes you can leave money on the table or you can miss out on sales. And we will talk about that later. Uh, and again, building off of that, we're talking about specific value to organizations, large companies, small companies, they're going to value things differently, likely because your ability to impact something is going to be different. Your ability to provide return on investment is going to be different. Uh, there's going to be a number of different values there. So pricing is easy to get wrong, and there are a number of reasons for why. So what will we cover over the next hour? We're going to get to quite a bit, I hope, and I hope a lot of it is ends up being valuable for you. Uh, some of the things that we are going to hit on is um, – I promised you seven ways that'll help you price better. So we're going to get to those seven different ways that I think you can get there. We are going to talk about um, some new things that you have probably not heard before, including things like price wars. Uh, I'm going to get more into uh, why I don't like discounts. We're going to talk about uh, premium pricing versus low cost leaders. We are going to talk about different pricing methods. We are going to talk about touch on a little bit of dynamic pricing. We're going to talk about the pricing thermometer. We are going to talk about true economic value. We are going to talk about uh, how to win price wars. We are going to talk about uh, examples from Aldi and Apple and Tesla. 
Actually, I just already hit on Tesla. So we are going to cover a quite a bit of ground here. Uh, this is going to be a high-level thing because I only really have about an hour. Um, but we're going to lay a foundation so that um, if you are making a pricing decision, you have an opportunity to make a better one, to hopefully um, think through and not just throw your hands in the air and say, ah, I don't know, this is too hard. Um, let me just guess. Because that is what we want to avoid when we're making our pricing decisions. So the first thing we want to hit on is I want you to get comfortable with the pricing thermometer. If you cannot see it because you are listening on this on audio, it looks just actually it's a crude approximation of what a thermometer might look like. Uh, and I've listed three different points on this thermometer at the very base is the COGS, C-O-G-S, COGS, which is really the cost of goods and services. Uh, in the middle, um, I think I put it just so you can visualize it if you can't see this, about two-thirds of the way up, I put a section called perceived value. And that is exactly what it means, which is what does the market perceive as the value? And in the top, I have the true economic value, which is how much is this really worth to the market? So the first thing I want you to do, we're going to come back to this in a second, but before we go into it any, in too much depth, I want to give you a few pricing models so that you can understand the pricing thermometer a little bit better and you can visualize some of these different concepts. Uh, and I want to explain these at the front because it helps you understand the pricing thermometer a little bit better. So some common pricing models that come up over and over and over again in my work and that I hope will help by explaining them will help you a little bit more is uh, the first one's COGS, which showed up right there at the bottom of the pricing thermometer. And that means cost of goods and services. Um, it is pretty simple to understand. Uh, it is really just what, what does it take to create uh, market and sell a product or a service? Um, there are limits to it though. Uh, because it is often difficult to understand what exactly goes into um, marketing and selling something. So cost of goods and services can be limited. Um, the second one is cost plus. And this means uh, you take the cost, so COGS, and then you add a little profit margin on top. Again, if you don't know the full price of what you're selling, it is difficult to get this right and it's difficult to use effectively but cost plus is a popular way of pricing uh, the third one is dynamic pricing the dynamic pricing as it says um, is when you price dynamically and that could be according to some of the factors that we list before um, a lot of times if you're dealing with tickets it could be time to show number of seats left popularity uh, how fast tickets are selling um, if you are selling in retail, again, are you selling toys near the holiday? That could go faster. Um, if it's the launch date for a new video, a new release, a new book, um, again, all these things could drive the dynamic pricing. Um, a lot of times you see it also in the, the terms of a disaster and it becomes um, really extortionate. Um, but dynamic pricing really is adjusting your pricing based on different factors that can contribute to whether or not an event or a an event, a ticket, an item is popular or more popular now. So time, place, um, match up, number of items remaining, uh, speed of sale, um, you know, it could be weather could become a factor, uh, supply chains could drive these things, all, all kinds of things could drive dynamic pricing. Uh, Value-based pricing is something that we're going to spend a great deal of time on, uh, but it is pricing based upon the value, the perceived value that someone has. Uh, we try to match it up where you capture as much of the true economic value through your management of perception as possible and as reasonable, uh, but value pricing is really powerful tool, especially for professional services, so we'll talk about that just a little bit more. The fifth one down here at the bottom, though, is one that I have a lot of fun with in my normal presentations. It's basically the most common, and it's a lot of sticking your finger in the air uh, and waiting and hoping for 
um, the best, right? It is akin to making things up. I actually had a, a name for it that this is a family-friendly webinar, so we're not going to use it. Um, but sticking your finger in the air, pulling the number out of thin air, um, that's the most common and the most often used form of pricing. It's also completely because you don't know if anybody is using your price. Uh, you don't know if people are really like making any kind of price. You don't necessarily even know if people are, um, you know, undercutting your price because they, they, they're competing in a price war necessarily. Uh, you don't have a lot of information. So sticking your finger in the air while, cough, while common is also useless. Um, so let's go back to the thermometer here. The pricing thermometer is very important for everybody to understand at the very start because it is a visualization tool. It was originally created by a Harvard Business School professor called Robert J. Dolan. And the reason I want you to understand it at the very start is because of the, the three numbers can help you think through your pricing habits much more effectively. At the bottom, the COGS acts as a floor for your pricing, right? You don't want to usually go underneath the cost of goods and services because that means you're going to be losing money on a per unit basis. Now, is that 100%? No. If you have to liquidate assets, um, you might go below COGS. If you are in a price war and you have built up a war chest that will allow you to um, ride out the storm of losing money on each of sale, then you might go below that price floor. For most of us, most of the time, though, understanding what the cost of goods and services is acts as a floor, and it gives us a starting point for thinking through how we're going to price. At the very top, you're going to find the true economic value, and that's the impact that your product or service delivers to the market. Um, it can be difficult to figure out sometimes. Sometimes it's very easy, right, because as with most cases, value can be identified in two ways uh, as tangible value which is things that you can easily measure uh, revenue uh, profit uh, time saved you know those things are all tangible it can also be intangible and that makes those are harder to judge so intangible benefits could be less stress um, it could be you know the ability to prioritize differently it could be um, your ability to get more pro productivity out of staff that was uh, struggling. It could be any number of things that don't lead themselves to easy measures of success. And then in the middle is the perceived value, right? That's the perception that the market has about how valuable you want you you are to them, right? And as we talk about value-based pricing and price wars and some of these other things, you'll understand how the hopefully a little bit better how to manipulate perception. You'll understand the importance of perception. But the big point to know here is that perception changes often from person to person, from business to business. Uh, it can change over time, right? Like what I perceive as being valuable today can be different than what I perceive as being valuable tomorrow. Um, if I am in a really tough situation, the perception of value can differ. If it is something that I don't want to or don't need immediately, that can also change the perception of the value of the product or service I am selling. So the reason that I made the understanding and the comfort level with the pricing thermometer is because of this visualization, right? And the ability to draw those three points on the line and to understand how much does something cost to create and sell? Even if the cost of goods and services is not necessarily always the most accurate or best way to measure uh, how much something costs you to make or like how you're going to set your price, understanding it as a baseline helps you to understand your cost against the perception of value that the market is going to have about you and what the true economic value is so that you can understand how close you're getting to the perceived value in your price or to the true economic value. And so you can manage some of those perceptual 
factors in a way that allows you to capture more of the value. Things like the importance of the product or service you're selling. Um, you can generate need, right? You can highlight uh, different benefits. You can highlight all kinds of different um, ways that a product or service is going to impact people. If it's going to save them money, make them money, save them time, eliminate stress, all of these different things. This visualization tool helps you understand in a much more succinct manner where your price is falling on the scale between maximum value or minimum value, right? Or it can tell you if maybe you've missed the boat entirely on your pricing. It's simple. Uh, even though the COGS is imperfect, it does give you a starting point for a much more robust and thoughtful process of pricing, especially when you consider some of the other things like cost plus, value, uh, making things up, pricing research, uh, which we don't cover a lot today, uh, dynamic pricing, um, inventory levels, all of these different things that go into the fact you know, that factor into your pricing model. So first off, we are going to understand the pricing thermometer. Now, moving forward to the second point here, which is pricing drives your profit. So the second thing I really want you to understand today is that pricing should drive profits. It is not what you make. It is what you keep, right? Um, when I first started out, my brand was the revenue architect, and I felt that it was a little bit missing the mark because it didn't reflect profitability. And so over time, I've moved away from that. It, so I want you to understand today that profit and pricing go hand in hand and your pricing should drive your profit. The price is the best lever that you're going to be able to push. Pricing is your best friend. If you push the sales button, you might gain three to five percent new profits, right? Which is not bad. Not bad at all, actually. Um, you might find some efficiencies, right? And that'll get you maybe three, four, five percent as well. Um, you can also cut the cost and that might get you uh, three, maybe four percent, right? It's, you know, nothing to laugh at, but it's not anywhere near what you get when you find that you push the price button. And this number I am about to show you should make you stand up and cheer because pricing on average can get you 10 to 11 percent and increase profitability for each one percent that you raise your price the original study uh, there is a was a harvard business school study again done that highlighted this um, i believe it was kind of like farming tools and they said they, they found that one percent of price increase equal 11 percent in profitability uh, i did a study of the companies i've worked with over the year and i found that for each one percent we were able to increase the prices it looked at like about 12 percent um mark ritson who i studied studied with um several years ago uh, he pointed out that for every one percent in price through his research that people gained that they gained about 10 or 11 percent you know so between those three examples i feel pretty comfortable that if you're able to gain one percent of profit you gain about ten percent or if you change the price of your product or service one percent you typically gain about ten or eleven percent profitability and that seems to have held up across a number of different industries and different people uh, meaning that pricing if you're able to change your price by one percent brings you two or three times the impact that cutting costs um, more sales sales reps and sales promotions, uh, better efficiencies will get you. Uh, that just shows you the power of pricing. Um, and, you know, this can lead you towards the next idea, which is value-based pricing. And it's the idea that I want to talk about or spend a great deal of time talking with you right now because it's very important because first off it allows you to understand the idea that different customers may get different prices 
that's as true as it is. But it's also a favorite of mine because for professional services, it allows you to bring that to life in a way that you can better understand things. So there's some benefits, and I want to start with some benefits of value-based pricing. The first one is it allows you to get closer to the true economic value. If you remember where we started with the thermometer pricing thermometer, you'll remember that at the very top was the true economic value. In the middle was the perceived value. If you use value-based pricing, a lot of times it allows you to capture more of the true economic value. That can be important because a lot of times, again, if you follow along with me, you believe my logic here, most people are pulling their pricing out of thin air. They're making it up, right? They're maybe pricing against their competition, even though they don't know how their competition is making their pricing decision. They might be making pricing decisions based off of COGS, but they have missed some of the important factors that drive whether or not, you know, what the full value or full cost of their goods and services are. Um, You know, so understanding value-based pricing allows you to capture some of the true economic value because you are going to have a better understanding of what the impact of a product or service is. Um, The second benefit of value-based pricing is being able to charge different prices for different customers. Again, your value is going to be different to different customers in different industries of different sizes. To say that you are going to charge, let's say, we'll use an example, uh, Microsoft as a Fortune Fortune 100 business. Um, you might charge them $100 for a good or service, and they might gain a million dollars in value off of the relationship with you. At the same time, you might work with me. My business is not Fortune 100. It's Fortune Dave. Um, but I might spend the same $100 and only get $10,000 of benefit out of this. There's excess value in the difference between that you aren't capturing from the relationship with Microsoft. If you are providing greater value, you should capture more value for yourself, right? It's not about what it costs to make something or what it costs to sell something is about the value. And that is one of the primary benefits of value-based pricing. You can charge different prices for different customers built and based on the value that you create. You can create and capture different value for different customers. And finally, one of the one of my favorite benefits, especially when it comes to when we get to the discounts and how salespeople love, love the discount, if you do a good job, of marketing and selling based on value-based pricing, it can allow you to justify your price more effectively, meaning that you have less need to discount, that you can push back on the reflexive, the price is too high argument that happens all too often. It allows you to, again, capture more of the value you create for the customers and prospects that you aim to serve. So why, I guess, one. so let me back that up. So one of the things that people, that stop people from pricing based on value is that they don't feel, that they, they don't feel like they can, I guess is the simplest way to put it. And a lot of times they go, well, why, why does this happen? Right. A lot of times people go, why, why am I underpricing or why do I not feel comfortable charging what I want? And so what I've done is put together a quick slide with probably the three most common reasons that people underprice. So the first one is um, people are in danger of underpricing in their products and services because they often fall into the trap of that first objection, which is always about the price. It's too expensive. I don't have a budget. Um, 
I'm not going to get the value out of this. I'm going to, you know, some version of cost. And it's easy. It's all probably the most, it's probably the easiest trap to fall into because people don't have budgets a lot of times for these things, or they haven't made plans for, for something, or they don't know if they can gain the value. But the, un, but understanding value allows you to push back because if you're able to show that you can create a value, you can say, look, for the for the low cost of this or for this investment, this, you gain X number of value. That's a five, a 10 times return on your investment. It'll give you an opportunity to fight back on some of those things. Because the one thing I found over and over again is that price is the knee-jerk objection. Don't fall for it. It always comes out first. It allows you, though, an opportunity to answer, to ask a question, which is, well, if the price wasn't an objection, what would, would you be able to go ahead and move forward? And a lot of times that will uncover what the real objection is. As I mentioned in this previous slide, the second thing here is that value-based pricing allows you to charge different value to different customers because different customers value your products and service differently. The reason this is a challenge for people and why people underestimate their impact is because they think that they have to have a one a one price for everybody. You know, you, you've been on, well, let's say I'm using Microsoft Teams to make this presentation and webinar today. Uh, there's the $15 package, I believe, you know, and so you think like, oh, everybody needs to get the same price. Depending on what you're selling, it is completely within reality and what you should be doing and thinking to charge a different price for a different serve a different customer. The example I gave between me and Microsoft uh, and the difference in value that we received is a perfect example. If you are in professional services and you are managing a $10 million project versus a $100 million project, it would make no sense for you to charge the exact same thing because there's probably many more resources, many more um, you know, man hours, there's probably a lot more that goes into the $10 million project or the $100 million project versus the $10 million project. Um, you Or the $100 million business may be able to gain more value just because they have more um, capacity to implement your strategies and your ideas. Um, you could be uh, a key access in making that $100 billion or $100 million business grow to $200 million, where if you made the $10 million company uh, meet a comparable goal, they might only grow to like 20 or 25. But is it fair that you receive the same thing for adding $15 million versus $100 million? So th that is a key reason why people underprice their goods now, especially when they think about value, is because they don't think of it in terms of like, this is the impact I'm going to have. But maybe the most important thing to me and the challenge that um, that I've, I find that people struggle with um, needlessly would be the best way of putting it is value-based pricing should give you the opportunity to get out of the commodity trap. And the commodity trap means that like you're no different than anybody else, right? If you are a marketing consultant, you're the same as every other marketing consultant, even though uh, you might do strategy and the other person might do copywriting. I pay my copywriter 20 bucks an hour, so I must pay you 20 bucks an hour. Um, you, you offer, you know, uh, Google offers their web services mostly for free, so Microsoft is ridiculous for charging $15, $15 right? Apple gives the stuff away for free. Why should I be paying for Microsoft? Um, I can get a Chromebook for $200. Why should I pay $1,200 for a Mac? All of these are examples of how we have created there, – there is a – people are trying to push towards the commodity trap. And this is what we're going to talk about later about the power of brand 
to insulate you from pricing wars and from to give you pricing power in your organization. But the number one reason that people are the the number one reason that needlessly people are throwing away good money after bad is because they allow themselves to be trapped into a commodity thinking process. And it gives people the ability to push down and beat down on pricing because one lawyer must be the exact same as the other lawyer, which we know is not true. One marketing consultant must be the same as as everybody else. That's not right. Um, you always want to differentiate. You want to control the conversation around your product and service. Uh, you want to do everything you can to not be a, a commodity. You want to differentiate yourself. And so this is the value of value-based pricing. It gives you the opportunity to understand that you should price differently based on whether or not uh, a company is going to gain more value, a person is going to gain more value from you. It allows you to push back against the knee-jerk idea that pricing is a real objection as opposed to just one that's easy to uh, used to do, wave off a salesperson. It allows you to understand um, how to avoid the commodity trap. It allows you to capture more of the true economic value that you create. Um, if you use it well, it allows you to change, to deal with and manage the perception of value more, uh, on and on. And it now opens the door to some different ideas of different kinds of directions that we can go um, with our pricing plan, right? So these are going to be some things that maybe I don't talk, haven't talked about a lot over the years um, that I've now been studying and that I find pretty interesting and that they can help you price a little bit more effectively. And we're going to begin with something, the idea that pricing doesn't happen in a vacuum and your first idea, reaction will be to discount. And I want to fight back against that because Again, if you fall on the commodity trap, the first thing you might struggle with is I need to cut the price because people say the price is too high, right? Um, I'm no different than anybody else. I don't want you to fall into the discount trap. So I want to give you some tools that will help you fight the battle before you get to the discount discussion. And I'm going to start with one that is I think probably going to be a little bit confusing to people who know a lot about what I do, and that's a price war. So if you have been listening to anything I do as far as pricing goes, you are going to say, wait, what? A price war? And I'm going to tell you, yes, a price war, because they can work. Um, we have seen Chinese companies use them uh, regularly to break into Western markets, and they are easier to win than you might think because most businesses don't really have a good plan for how to do it. They just end up throwing down discounts without any real thought behind them. So price wars, actually, if you're having to get into any kind of price-based competition, can be your friend because most people don't know how to do them. But I'm going to teach you how. So there's a right way and a wrong way to fight a price war. The good way, the right way is to do three things, right? You want to start out by having a clear understanding of why you are fighting. Are you fighting to gain market share? Are you fighting because you want to uh, steal market share from customers that don't, or I mean, from competition that doesn't have a lot of room in their profitability? Um, you know, why are you fighting this battle? You have a plan to when the price war is going to start and when it's going to end. You don't set this thing forever. You know when it's going to start and when it's going to end, and you stick to that. And when you do fight the battle, you go all in, right? That's the right way to do it. The bad way, which happens all too regularly, it starts with people go into these things with no plan for how to get out of them. So they extend the battle needlessly, and that causes problems because a price war that goes on forever really is just bleeding everybody to death. Um the second reason why uh, you lose a price war or like a bad way to fight your price war is you don't cut the prices deep enough, right? You have to go all the way in. You can't like just dip a toe in a price war. You have to go all out. 
And finally, there's no clear understanding of what winning really looks like. So to fight a price war, you need a plan. And what I've done is created a three-step plan to help people understand how to fight a price war. So the three steps are pretty simple and pretty easy for people to remember. Um, The first thing is shock and awe, right? Shock and awe means you come out and you overwhelm your competition with the price war, right? You surprise them when you're going to start the price war. You are aggressive in the promotions. You are aggressive with, you know, how much you're willing to cut, right? Like the average company might cut 10, 15, 20%. Uh, To win price wars, though, you might need to cut 30 or 40%. You got to go all out, right? Shock and awe. Differentiation is the second point in here. And differentiation is really just making sure that you draw a clear distinction between your business and someone else's. Too often, businesses get into the price war, and the only thing that differentiates them is the price. It is a bad idea because it doesn't give you a competitive advantage. So you want to make sure that you differentiate yourself between, uh, but on something besides just the price. And then the final thing is you want to do an all-out attack. You want to attack, 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 right? There's no halfway in a price war. You're all in for the entirety of the price war that you've started, right? So if you say we're going to start this price war in your retail and we're going to start this price war in January because no one usually is everybody spent out after Christmas and this is not the time people usually do things like this. And we're going to stop it in um, at the beginning of March, because that's when we start to see things rebound. If that's the case, you go all out in January and February and you don't stop. It's all out attack. But remember the most important thing is that, you know, why you are fighting the price war. Is it to gain market share? Is it to put pressure on your competition? Uh, is it to steal the thunder of established players in the market? Understand exactly why you're going to fight this price war and stick to that plan, right? Because most price wars fail because, again, people don't have a plan of attack. They don't know why they're fighting it, and they don't go deep enough. So make sure you avoid those traps. And You're not guaranteed to win the price war, but you'll have a better chance. So the next strange but true thing we're going to talk about here is I'm going to talk to you about being a low-cost leader. And this is important because you need to make an important distinction when you set out price. Uh, Low price versus premium pricing is a key decision. Unfortunately, too many people can't. They get stuck in the middle, right? They don't go low. They don't go high. They get jammed up somewhere in the middle. And being stuck in the middle is an incredibly bad place to be. So you want to know why you're going low or high. And I have a few cool examples um, that will help you understand what it means to be a low-cost leader um, from – I think actually they're both from Europe. Actually, well, I'll take that back. One of them is now in America, and I go regularly. But the first one's from Aldi, and Aldi is a grocery store. Um, and their idea, their differentiation in the market is that they offer quality, affordable food at a good low price. And in a lot of cases, this means that their prices are probably somewhere between twenty and forty percent cheaper. Uh, than most other grocery stores. And the reason it is, is because most of what they do, most of their inventory that they keep is private label products. So it allows them um, to cut the cost of branding and advertising more because they're not necessarily selling the product, but they are selling the Aldi brand. Um, all you know, And so this gives Aldi the chance to be successful because it is – um, driven by procurement because they get to buy these um, large things in bulk and they can be used in many stores. Um, they are able to consolidate their costs. And another and another reason that this strategy helps is because often it allows the um, or, sorry, another way to that 
all the cuts costs and save things is by consolidating the efforts of their employees. They cut down on the turnover of their employees by treating them well. Uh, they turn down, um, they make their employees more efficient because they use things like putting barcodes on all four sides. Uh, there's a certain amount of uniformity to the layout of the stores, which helps people be able to float between store and store if need be. Um, there is a number of reasons why. But because of their focus on low, good food at low prices uh, and their adherence to a private label strategy, it allows them to be a low-cost leader and to compete effectively against chains like Kroger or Giant or Safeway or Whole Foods because the quality of the product is good um, and the pricing is better. Another one that offers a really good example is Ryanair. It's a low-budget airline throughout Europe, and they have historically had a higher return on sales uh, than most other airlines um, Return on sales is a measure that is used often in airlines, uh, and the typical airline may have a 1.5 to 2% return on sales. Ryanair's is often in the range of 10 to 12%. Um, and the secret for their success is simple, right? Um, it begins with the utilization rate. It's very strong. And what does utilization rate mean in this context? It means that Ryanair turns their planes over. The time it takes from offboarding one flight to onboarding the next one and having it ready to go has been uh, is short, uh, as short as in some cases 22 minutes. Uh, it's also a second reason that Ryanair is successful as a low cost provider of air fares is that people that Ryanair has done a tremendous amount of study and a tremendous amount of data collection for their customers. And they've found that customers really love the super low prices and they will pay they are willing to pay premiums almost for additional products or services or features of the flight so this means ryanair the king of add-ons um, and these things add up to billions of dollars in profit so early boarding uh, extra bags um you know seating locations everything's an add-on uh drink on board uh, snack on board. All of these things add up and they add up to billions of dollars. But the initial price of the ticket may be five pounds. Some cases I've read of even of them being free. These are two examples of being a low cost leader. And the key here, though, if you've noticed between Aldi and Ryanair, and I could go on and talk about other organizations like that are compete for, uh, based on price like Amazon is that while you fight to get the price as low as possible, you do have to come up with ways to effectively position yourself that don't continue to drive a race to the bottom. So think about something like Amazon. They have the lowest prices on books most of the time, uh, but they've also differentiated themselves by using prime as a tool to give you free shot, uh, free shipping Ryanair, low price tickets, what they capture their revenue through add-ons and fees. But the initial price of the ticket might be, you know, 20 pounds if you are a academic or a student. So keep in mind that you drive the price low, but you still find a way to differentiate yourself. Just as in the case of the price war, differentiation matters. Now the next one here is premium pricing and we go high right i, I figured out quote michelle obama and premium pricing um is cool because um, let's go back here um there's no real definition of what classifies as premium pricing it really depends on what you are selling what product or service you end up in um Someone like Ben and Jerry's, right? It's ice cream here in the States. Uh, their premium pricing might only be like 30 or 40 cents over a regular um, quart of ice cream. Other times you might see something like uh, Air Jordans, you know, a brand, a brand of shoes. And those shoes may go for twice, three times what a, another pair of comparable Nikes would go for like a pair of Air Maxes might be half of what an Air pair of Air Jordans would be. Um, 
but the Air Jordan brand can justify it. Um, you know, and those Air Jordans, though, even the Air Maxes that were half the price of the Jordans might still be 25 to 50% more than what a pair of Adidas or Under Armour's cost for. Um, there's no set formula. It all depends. You know, I've seen clothing um, or other things you know, be two, three, four, ten times what something else is, right? Think about the airline example we gave before. If you're taking a flight on British Air, what I, which I did just recently, uh, premium economy and was about um, three times what regular economy was. And first class was probably four to five times what premium economy was. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason. The magic in telling a premium of setting a premium prices it tells a story and the story really needs to be one of luxury of quality of impact of value um one example that i come back to about how to do this effectively and use it in a way that really insulates your brand and teaches people a lesson and it becomes a device to get people to constantly think about you as steve jobs in the 2000s when the um he cut back the product line uh, and it, he cut it down to where it was just really the I, the iPod, a laptop, a desktop, and probably some headphones. It just works. And that was able to give people a sense of Apple. I'm buying it just because I don't need to be a tech person to pull the whole thing together. It just works. And other brands that, uh, that are premium and elicit a similar response of, luxury value quality impact it might be something like louis vuitton the louis vuitton bag uh, it is a symbol right it tells a story of both when you go to buy it and when you have it right tiffany the little blue bag that tells a story it tells a story of value and luxury um pampering um love and concern uh, it had this it, brand tells a story it justifies its premium pricing. Uh, Porsche, you know, there's not uh, anybody who wouldn't say that Porsche symbolized luxury, uh, speed, quality, uh, craftsmanship. Uh, and my favorite example, uh, because I love pens, and it was one of the first gifts that uh, Catherine, my partner, gave me when our first Christmas together was a Mont Blanc pen. And when you see that cap and you see that little white emblem on the top, you know that that means quality, right? Anytime you see the Mont Blanc emblem, the Mont Blanc brand, you know it's high quality. It's luxury. It's weighty. It's luxurious. It's high quality. It's beautiful. It's magic. And that's what premium pricing needs to do. So how do you win at premium pricing? Pretty simple. I'm going to give you a couple ideas. You want to deliver superior value. This, what does that mean? That means you can give people what they pay for, right? It's important that you do that. Um, there needs to be a strong correlation between price and value, right? You don't want people to feel like they've been duped. Post-purchase price, uh, post price perception uh, needs to include value, right? You need to innovate. Why do you think Apple starts out and launches a new iPhone every year, right? Is to continue to justify that premium pricing for the iPhone. Uh, same thing for the watch or the iPad. Innovation is helpful in continuing to win at premium pricing. Uh, quality, right? Quality needs to be there. Your brand, your brand has to stand up for you, right? Your brand can be a code for whether or not something is, is a, worthy of the premium pricing, right? I gave you the example of Tiffany and Mont Blanc, Porsche, uh, the iPhone, Tesla stands in for this. Um, I love my Smiths and Notebooks. Smiths and Notebooks, uh, those things symbolize a, a strong brand, luxury, value. You need to communicate the value, right? That's important, right? If you aren't doing a good job of communicating um, the value, how luxury, luxurious it is, the quality of what you're doing, it won't work. It'll fall down. Your premium pricing model won't work. But most importantly, don't discount. The fastest way to destroy your premium process, uh, 
pricing model is the discount. Price-based promotions suck the life out of a brand and out of a pricing strategy. So let's look at the opposite side and say, why can your premium pricing strategy go wrong? Number one, if you don't differentiate, there's a danger of becoming a commodity. We talked about commodities at the start. We talked about um, value-based pricing. You want to make sure there's differentiation so that you don't fall into the commodity trap. The second reason is if you don't invest in your brand, your brand becomes useless. It becomes a commodity. It becomes just like everything else. Think about the example of Coca-Cola. That bottle, that red color, the you know, you know the Coca-Cola name, it might, while it might be less valuable than it was 20 years ago, um, the brand value still carries on. So invest in your brand because it will help you justify your premium pricing. Post-value pricing perception isn't there. The example we just used where we we're talking about if people don't feel like they got what they paid for, it will hurt your ability to continue to price at a premium. Manage the post pricing perception by giving people what they think they bought. Make it feel like it's worth what they paid for. The fourth reason here that your pricing, premium pricing can go wrong is there's no incentive to buy now, right? There's no urgency. There's no rush. So you want to make sure that it seems like I need this now. I need to buy today or I'm going to miss out. So do that. But again, the fastest way to ruin your premium pricing strategy is by running price-based promotions. Those things will hurt you. They will destroy. They will ah, screw it. I'm going to talk about discounts because we're going to find out why does Dave hate discounts. And let me count the ways. So a couple of reasons that I think discounts hurt your business is first off, the discounts destroy your brand. Just like we talked about with the premium pricing model before, the discounts destroy your brand, right? They under, they undermine the story you've told, right? Um, because pricing is really about a story. And that's why making that low versus premium distinction is very important because you want the people to tell themselves the right story. If you have a premium price and then you discount it, it destroys that story, right? Destroys profits. We talked about how 1% of increase in pricing can get you a 10 to 12% increase in your profitability. There have been studies. I did one through with people I worked with that showed that for every 1% of discounting we did, they lost about 20 to 25% of profit. Um, Mark Ritson, again, when I took a class with Mark, he showed me research um, and talked about research that said for every 1% of value or price that you cut, you lost 40%. And then there is um, some research from Harvard that says 1% discount equals about 11% in profit loss. Pick any one of those three numbers. They're all bad, and they all show that discounts destroy your profits. And then maybe, though, the most important thing is that discounts teach your customers the wrong lessons, right? It teaches them to wait. It teaches them that there's always going to be a better deal. It teaches them that I'm going to be able to get something better if I just hold out a little bit longer. More pressingly, though, is discounts have been studied in neuromarketing studies, and they are a trigger in your customer's mind. The problem is the trigger is negative and it sticks around for seven to 10 years. What do I mean by this trigger is negative and it sticks around for seven to 10 years? As soon as you open the door to discounting, in a person's mind, you become a discount brand and you that sticks, that impression sticks with customers for seven to 10 years. So that means you can't get out from under the belief that you're going to discount more for almost a decade. And that's really the danger of what you of discounting. Once you are a discount brand, you stay a discount brand for far too long, you know, and in some cases in some customers' minds forever. So then how do we avoid discounting? I'm gonna give you seven ways. And then I'm gonna wrap up pretty quickly because we are getting to the end of an hour and I promised you that we would only be here an hour. So seven ways to avoid the discount. Number one, spend more time pricing correctly up front. We didn't get a lot of time to talk about this, but you can do research on your pricing. There's a Van Westendorf pricing model. There's conjoint theories. There's experimentation. There's all kinds of things. We can spend more time pricing correctly at the start. 
you can bundle things together, right? That's simple. You can take two things that have value um, that maybe don't add up to a lot of cost, but put them together. You can also unbundle. If you have four or five different things together, unbundle them and make them each individual items. It implies a discount, maybe feels like a discount, but you haven't discounted at all. You can use time-based pricing, right? If you buy this thing earlier, you get a better price than if you wait later, right? Too often, the relationship is reversed. And the longer people wait, the better price they get. You don't want, you want to break that. Use the time in a way that's beneficial to you. Use value-based pricing. We spend a lot of time doing this because we, we want to understand how to manage the perception of value against the true economic value that somebody benefits from so that we can capture the most value, period, so that we can have the conversation that controls the this discussion about price and value. Number six, focus on the impact of your product or service. Again, I'm beating this one home. Uh, think in terms of impact and opposed to just price. It's about what you give people, not how much it costs. If you can win that conversation, you can win the pricing discussion. And number seven, it's hard to do, but sometimes it's the only answer to avoid discounting is just say no. The price is the price because not every customer is a good customer. So five key takeaways. The first one is pricing is marketing's MVP moment. Again, it is the point in the relationship that you have with your customers where you capture some of the value you created. That's why you need to spend time thinking through the price, having a philosophy, understanding some of those pricing models I gave you at the very beginning. Number two is the pricing thermometer and its meaning. Remember, COGS, cost of goods and services, perceived value, true economic value. Those three numbers will give you a, on the thermometer, will give you a visual perception of what is going on. It will help you understand how to set a better, more effective price. Number three, pricing drives profits. For every 1% in price that you're able to increase, you gain 10 to 12% in profit. There is a direct relation between pricing and profitability. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. So always push to get set the right price not to get the most revenue. Set the price that's going to allow you to profit. Number four, know if you are selling low or high. Make the decision on whether or not you are a low-cost leader or a premium pricer. Don't get stuck in the middle. Number five, don't discount. Discounts will destroy your brand. They hurt the story you tell. They steal your profit. Uh, they harm you endlessly over and over and over again. It's hard, but fight with all your might, the desire to discount. Don't discount if you can at all help it because it's never just this one time. And the implications and the negative impacts of it go on for years and years and years. So what's next? For me, I'm putting together, this was a way for me to work through some of the material of a three-week pricing sprint that I'm working on, on covering. Um, I'm going to cover more of this stuff. I'm going to go deeper in more depth. I'm going to expand on it. There's going to be some person-to-person um, interactions, some individual interactions. Uh, and you can get on the beta list by emailing me uh, at daviddavewakeman.com. I have not set the price yet. I'm thinking about um, $500 for the beta, and I'm going to limit it to 10 folks. But uh, just send me an email and then I will let you know everything once it gets started. And then you can find me in a few spots. Um, you can get the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's talkingtickets.substack.com. That comes out every Friday. It's about the world of tickets and live entertainment. Uh, you can also get my Sunday newsletter, which is about strategy, pricing, marketing. That's Business of Value. And it's at businessofvalue.substack.com. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Dave underscore Wakeman. Find me on LinkedIn by searching for Dave Wakeman, and you can find the Business of Fun podcast. That's everywhere a podcast should be. Um, I've had so many people go, I totally am working with you now because I found you on my Amazon, on my Alexa. I found you on um, all of these places. So uh, check me out. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Uh, you know, send me the emails if you have questions or ideas that you think I should cover more. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, that's daviddavewakeman.com, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. What do you say about that webinar presentation? Um, 
test run with some new ideas, some new technology, a couple new platforms in play. Uh, the Microsoft Teams link did not work the way I wanted it to, so it looks like I may have to go back to Zoom, but everybody knows how to use Zoom, so hey, that's how it is. Uh, send me an email. Let me know what you thought or if you had any questions. It's daviddavewakeman.com. Uh, I'm going to probably run another couple of these that are around different areas um, that I am interested in and focused on and been learning about um, first to try out. Some will be free. Some will have a fee. Uh, they are all going to be uh, ways for me to share the ideas and hopefully help people get their acts together coming through the pandemic. Uh, check out um, the podcast stream. Make sure you make a note of it because in the month of May, we are going to do a, and it could go longer, but we're going to do the road to recovery. Um, we have some really great guests lined up, some really great content coming your way. Um, it's all about helping you recover from the pandemic. Uh, I'm working on it with my good buddy Haley, uh, who is in charge of business development at Booking Protect. So you have heard of before, but check them out, bookingprotect.com. Like I told you at the very, very start of the episode, uh, when I was in Birmingham at the Ticketing Professionals Conference, um, refund protection was on almost everyone's mind. It was like one of the more popular topics. Uh, so check them out, bookingprotect.com, the best refund protection platform in the world, in my opinion. And that should count for something because you spend an hour with me at this point. Uh, Simon, Kat, Kath, Haley, uh, the entire Booking Protect team are fantastic. Make sure you check them out, bookingprotect.com. Uh, bookmark if you you know if you haven't subscribed or bookmarked to the podcast yet now would be a good time because we have some really cool stuff that's coming up i'm going to try to use the podcast stream uh to put together my very own podference uh we will see it could i could fail spectacularly but eh, you know you don't try anything you don't gain anything um you know but again send me a note you know i have an even more a uh, compassionate feeling about this thing is time is hard for people. Um, you know, let me know if you need to talk to somebody, you just want to say hello, whatever, just drop me a note, David, Dave .com. Uh, I will get back to you with some new conversations in the next couple of days. And then we're going to do this road to recovery thing. This I think might turn out pretty well, or again, it could be a spectacular disaster, whatever. It's going to be fun to try it. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Take it easy.